Lord Jesus, that is the prayer, the cry of our hearts. You laid your life down for us as we have just celebrated around your table. And we have decided to follow you. You've told us that there would be a cost. You've told us that the road would be narrow, that most people would go a different way. For those of us here in this room assembled this morning, we have decided to follow you. And we ask that you would help us to do so by the power of your spirit working within us. As we follow you, we want to know what it is that you would call us to do, how it is you would call us to live. So as we open your word now, please teach us by your spirit so that we can walk by faith. We pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, so if you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 as you do so, I wanted to um, remind all the women in our fellowship, we are a house of prayer, and the women have a special opportunity to uh, practice that this Saturday at the gathering. It's a gathering of women for prayer in the morning, and then we will, th- that will end with a lunchtime together. I would encourage you, if you haven't signed up yet, to please sign up. You can sign up at a table out there near the prayer room. Inel is out there, or you can sign up online, but please do so because uh, the, the women who are organizing this need to be able to plan for lunch and how many to expect. It's a tremendous opportunity to spend time, several hours together, praying together, rejoicing together, learning together, lifting your hearts to the Lord. So I'd encourage you to consider that. Hebrews chapter 11, it's all about faith. You won't be surprised that one of those models for me of faith was my mentor in Uganda, Mzea Monabasika. One of the ways he modeled that was just his life story. In 1961, Mze was thrown out of or had to run for his life from Congo. Why? Because he was a follower of Jesus, because he would not deny the name of Jesus. He ran, fled the Congo with about 60 other believers, came across the border into Uganda, into western Uganda. For two years, he had nowhere to live. No one in Uganda would allow them to stay near them or with them. They were considered foreigners. They were considered exiles. There were questions about why they had had to run from their own country. For two years, they moved constantly, 60 people looking for a place to sleep each night. Finally, one local chief said, you can have some land. He gave them some land where they could build some homes and where they could plant some gardens, but that land was uninhabited because it was inhabited by all kinds of animals, hyenas, wild boar, elephants. They began to plant gardens, and the animals ate everything that they planted. They had to dig trenches around their gardens, one meter wide, one meter deep, to try to keep the animals out. 
But as Imona would relate that story to me, he said, I knew that God had moved me from my homeland to this land because the people here had not heard the gospel. Going back was not an option. You see, we are called to walk by faith. And faith is grounded in truth, but it's always looking forward. It's always looking to what God has in store for us, not backwards, always forwards. Hebrews chapter 11, and the first three verses, we saw that faith sees the future with as much clarity as it sees the present. And then in verses 5 down to 7, uh, 4 down to 7, we had examples of three individuals that showed us that faith permeates every aspect of life. For Abel, faith permeated his worship. For Enoch, faith permeated his walk daily. And for Noah, faith permeated his work life. Faith permeates every single aspect of life. And now we come to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, there it is, he was looking forward forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man as, and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. And what did he need to do? To go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. A place. He was to go out from a place. He was to leave a place. And he was going to go to a place. And yet neither of those places were the focus of his attention. He was called to go out from a place. Genesis chapter 12 puts it this way. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land I will show you. He didn't tell him where it was. That is still the call on so many lives of believers today. If they are going to follow Jesus, it means they're going to have to walk away from everything that they have known and held dear. This last week, I was teaching a course up in Traverse City, and I stayed overnight with a family, and they were telling me that in their church, they, are, they have welcomed a refugee from Afghanistan who is a believer. And he had to flee for his life when Afghanistan fell to the Taliban. But that week, the church had been an intense prayer because this gentleman had told them that 20 of his friends that he knows who have been hiding in Afghanistan because they're believers had just been found by the Taliban. 
You see, we can sit in our comfort in America and think that we follow Jesus. We just make a decision and go on with our lives. But we have brothers and sisters around the world who really have to count that cost. For Abram, it was huge. Leave your father. Leave your home. Leave your culture. And go to a place that I will show you. God did not tell him where he was going. Boy, that's hard for us, isn't it? We want to know what's coming. We plan a vacation. We want to know where we're going to stop at night and and what we're going to do each day. When God calls us from one thing to the next, we want him to make it clear. Walking by faith says, no, I, I follow you. You don't need to give me the details. Colossians chapter 1 tells us we've been called out of the domain of darkness into and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are not told everywhere he will take us as we follow him. We've just sung that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. As Abram followed Yahweh, he followed day by day. He followed by faith. That's why over and over again in these verses we've read, by faith, by faith, by faith. Abram was far from perfect. He didn't have it all right. During one famine, he went to Egypt and he lied to Pharaoh because Sarah, his wife, was so beautiful. He was afraid Pharaoh would kill him to get Sarah. When God delivered him out of Egypt, he came back home and he lied to a local king in Canaan about Sarah again, the very same lie. Abram was not perfect, but he was willing to follow God at any cost, and when God rebuked him, he was willing to repent. You see, God calls us from the place of our comfort to the place of his promise. Are you willing to let go of the place of comfort? Is there a place in your life, family, a city, a group of friends that you are not ready to let go of in order to walk towards the promise of God. He went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. God had given him a promise that he would show him a land. It was that promise that Abraham had his eyes focused on, always looking forward. It was a land of promise. As God said in Genesis chapter 13, all of the land that you see, I will give to you. And God said that to him after Lot had chosen the best piece of land. And yet, think of this. God promised him a land that would be his promised inheritance. When Abraham died, The only piece of land he owned was a burial plot. He begged of the Hittites to sell him one small piece of land where he and his wife could be buried. God had made a promise. I'm going to give you a land. God took him up on a hillside and said, look at it all. This is all yours. Abraham did not possess that land with his hands, with his feet. 
He possessed it with his faith. It would be more than 400 years before his descendants would actually possess that land. It was not only a land of promise, but a covenant promise that God had given to Abraham that he had to follow by faith. God had said in Genesis 15, look towards the heavens, number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then God said, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Abraham was old, way too old to have a son. He still believed God. God gave him one son, not a multitude of sons. He didn't fill the valley with his children. He didn't have parties when all the kids and grandkids showed up. One son. But he believed God that his descendants would be like the stars of the sky. And it was counted to him as righteousness. It was a promise that he hung on to. Not something he could hold with his hands, a promise. He walked with his children as heirs of that promise. Verse 9 says, his children lived with him in tents. Isaac and Jacob, from generation to generation, they held on to a promise without possessing the land themselves. We too have promises that God has given to us, promises that God has given to sustain us in hard times. Promises like Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, Jesus said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You see, with that promise comes the letting go. Anyone who needs to let go of father, mother, brothers, sisters, lands. Brothers and sisters, if we want to hold on to God's promise, we're going to have to let go of what we've been holding on to. Abraham let go of his land, let go of his culture, let go of Ur of the Chaldees, and simply followed God, not even knowing where God was taking him. Do you believe that if you let go of the people you hold most dear in your life in order to follow God, that he would multiply to you a hundredfold? That's what he promised. We hold on to the promise, not the things we possess. Hebrews chapter 13 again tells us, let go of certain things that the world hangs on to, and I will give you a promise. Hebrews 13, verse 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. What's he saying? Do not go the way of the world, the way of the world that says just be happy in marriage. You can break up a marriage whenever you want. Just make sure that you're enjoying, that, go, that you are happy. That's what God wants for you. The Scriptures say, no, you, you make marriage undefiled. You keep that a holy place. Secondly, he says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Our culture, brothers and sisters, runs on a love of money. Our culture is, our, our econ economy is driven by commercialism. 
And the Scriptures say, no, you be content with what you have. Don't let that possess you. And then here comes the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Are we willing to let go of what our world tells us to hold on to so that we can hold on to the promise like Abraham did? I love the example of Sarah in verse 11. It's not just Abraham, but Sarah who held on to the one who had promised. Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Why? Since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered Yahweh to be faithful. He had made a promise. You will have a a child. You will have a son. She considered him to be faithful. She was not looking at the circumstances around her. She was not looking at her age. She was not looking at the fact, the clear fact, that she was infertile. She was looking instead at the one who had made a promise. Sarah's faith wasn't perfect either. Remember when the Lord first promised Abram that he would give him a son? Sarah was in the tent, and what was she doing? Laughing. And God confronted her. But apparently, the Holy Spirit informs us in this verse that Sarah moved from an initial laughter of disbelief to faith. God grew her faith. She trusted. When the Lord rebuked her, she trusted. Okay. You have promised, and she, had, was, she received the power to conceive. She put her faith in the one, in Yahweh, not in the circumstances around her. And she put her faith in Yahweh who had made the promise, not in her own wish list, but in what he had promised. That's what her faith was in. You see, our faith can't be tied to what we want. We don't come to God and say, I have faith that you're going to, and then we give him our wish list. That's not how it works. We have faith in what he has said, and that faith works powerfully. Jesus made a promise, I will be with you to the end of the age. What's the context of that promise? Go and make disciples of all nations. You see, it's as we're going, as we're baptizing, as we're teaching them everything that Jesus taught us, that's when he says, I will be with you to the end of the age. We can't take it out of the context. Now, yes, Jesus will be with us, but that specific promise is to us as we share our faith because it can be a frightening thing to share our faith. Or many of us know the promise in Philippians chapter 4. Many of us have memorized this. My God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. It's a promise made to people who had just given sacrificially of the little bit of money they had in order for the gospel to reach people who had never heard Jesus before. And they were wondering, I just gave what little I had to God. Now how do I survive? And Paul says, as you have generously given to God, my God will supply your every need. That's not for all, that that promise isn't given to anyone who just is sitting in their home and, and wanting something. It's not a wish list promise. 
It's a promise to people who come to the fellowship of believers and give sacrificially in an offering to the church so that the gospel can reach the unreached. And then they say, they go home and they say, I guess I can't stop at McDonald's on the way home. I don't have any money in my pocket. It's a promise to those who have given to the work of the kingdom that he will provide every need that, need that they have. Sarah trusted the character of God not the circumstances around her. So did Abram, so did Isaac, so did Jacob. They faced famines. They faced water challenges where people were arguing with, with them over the rights to the wells they had dug. They faced infertility. But it was in the face of those challenges that they put their faith in what God had already promised to them. Leave the place where you were. Let me take you to the place where I want you to be. And hold on to the promise, not the things that you see around you. And there was even more. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, nestled right in the middle of all this, tells us what they were really looking forward to. Speaking of Abram, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Not a transient city, but one that's firm, that will last forever, that will never be destroyed, whose designer and builder is God. Abram was not looking for a place to, build, to put up his tent that he could say, this is my turf. This is my acre of land. That's not ultimately what he wanted. He wanted something far better. He had a vision of a place where he would go one day and dwell in a city God was building, and there's nothing like it. Now, I don't know if you are a person who loves cities. That's not usually who I am. I grew up in rural Africa, and I love the rural kind of life. But if there's one city I love, it's Edinburgh, Scotland. When I was able to live in Edinburgh, I absolutely loved it. Edinburgh is an amazing, it's hundreds of years old, but this down here, this lower part, that's old city. Look at the way the roads just, they naturally develop. They're squiggly, they go all over the place. Actually, some of these roads cross right over each other. It's a bizarre, bizarre place to walk through. But look it up here. It's all laid out. That's called New City. It's about 400 years old. But that's called New City. It's the first planned city in Europe. New City, Edinburgh. Totally different. It's it's beautiful. Gardens, everything pre-planned. But Abram was looking for a city whose designer and builder was God. There's a city that's being planned right now in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called The Line. It's actually being prepared for. They are moving people to build this city. This city is going to be, they say, 170 kilometers long, 200 meters wide, but taller than the the, um, Empire State Building. It will be made of glass on the sides. It will be all temperature controlled, running right through the middle of the desert. 170 kilometers, you'll move from one end to the other in 20 minutes on fast transit. No one will have personal cars. Everything is public transit. You can walk five minutes from any place you live in that city, and you will have everything you need, banking, groceries, everything, 
They are planning this city. It looks like from another world. God has something far better for us than that. Far, far better than that. Abram was looking for this city, the book of Genesis. The book of Revelation, the very end, John has a little bit of the vision of this city. Let me just read for us a little bit of what John saw. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Now, that's, that's significant, the glory of God. It's radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. The wall was built of jasper. The city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the city, the street of the city was pure gold, so pure it's like transparent glass. Abram was looking forward to this city. Genesis to Revelation, it's all one one story. Is that the city you're looking forward to? Or are you holding on to something here that's so much less? When our faith is not fixed on a place, when our faith is holding on to the promises of God, our faith can persevere. And so let me just read for you these last verses and see how Abram's faith persevered. Verse 13, Hebrews chapter 11, these all died in faith. Abel, Noah, Enoch, Abram, Sarah, they all died in faith, not having received the things, they prom things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. That's verses 1 to 3. Faith sees the future with as much clarity as what it sees in the present. They had seen them and, and held on to them even though they were far off and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles in the, on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Their view, their hope, their promise was nothing here on earth. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. How did they have perseverance to die in faith without ever possessing these things materially? Because they were not holding on to a place, they were holding on to a promise, and that helped them persevere all the way to the end. God was not ashamed to be called their God. And do you see how that passage ends? He's already prepared for them the city. That city in heaven that Abraham was looking forward to, it's ready. God's got it ready. It is ready for you and for me. But Abraham did not turn back. How easy it could have been for him to be in Canaan, never have a place to call his own, be living in a tent, and to say, you know what, back where I came from, Ur was very, very developed. It was far more developed than Canaan. I can go back to an urban setting. I can live in a permanent house. Abram never went back. Is there something that keeps pulling you back? 
that you wish for the good old days, brothers and sisters, we are not to go there because the good days are coming in the future. Faith is always forward-looking, never backward-looking. And it's grounded in the truth of what God has said, not what we want, what God has promised us. But faith looks forward. We've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Lord Jesus, we bow before you so grateful that you have made great and wonderful promises beyond anything we can imagine. Abraham was looking forward to a city with foundations that would never be moved, a city whose designer and builder is God. John, in Revelation, sees a glimpse of that city and is absolutely overwhelmed. And Lord, turn our eyes to the promises you've made for us. Father, if there's something we're holding on to, other than your promises and yourself. Help us to let go and to walk by faith. Help us never to turn back, but to always look to the future for the promises you have made to us are yes and amen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.